Gear up as Cash Miller and a team of accomplished guests steer you on an enlightening voyage filled with valuable tips, fresh insights, and effective strategies. Welcome to Marketing Masters, the Agency Power Show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Marketing Masters, the Agency Power Show. I am Cash Miller, your CEO of Titan Digital and your host. Today, I've got a great guest, Stephanie Johnson. She's with Valhalla Marketing Solutions. They're like paid ad experts. And I am really excited to have her on because we're going to be talking about Google and pay-per-click advertising. And there's a lot going on in the space, a lot of changes. Welcome, Stephanie. It's great to have you. Hey, thanks. I'm glad to be here. So very excited to talk about paid search. You are an expert at that. Yeah, you know, from what I understand, you you know you've been at it a long time. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and your company. Getting Solutions. We are a marketing agency based out of Central Florida, and we are really geared about uh, helping small businesses and treating them just like any other agency, but giving them that one-on-one -on -one attention. We're gonna make sure that you have the best strategy out there. So we wanna make sure we understand all about you. So it's definitely very much a boutique. So we are, you know, like I said, we're based out of Central Florida. And yeah, and we focus on paid search. So I'm very excited to talk about that today. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of changes coming down with Google and such, you know, um, and we'll talk about some of that stuff, but really, you know, it, this is an important topic because there's, you know, tons of businesses that use paid, you know, ads and such, you know, Google is of course the dominant search engine and whatnot. Bing's kind of coming along a little bit because they, you know, they're partnered with chat GPT. That's kind of helping them, you know, they're making changes to the way they display results, but Google is still, you know, it's that 800 pound gorilla, you, you know, Love it or hate it, you still, if you want to run paid ads, you got to deal with it. Yeah. So, so I wanted to get started um, in, you know, with this subject talking about, yeah, for one, it's, that is, um, with Google ads, it's a very saturated market. You know, there's a lot of companies are running ads and, you know, when you do a search and you look at the results and stuff, I mean, they kind of all look the same, you know, there's, it's not much seems to be different, you know? So the first thing I wanted to really ask you about is, you know, if you're an advertiser, you know, whether you've been using Google a long time, you're first getting started and such, you know, how do you go about actually differentiating yourself? You know, how do you make your ads stand out amongst, you know, so many, not just, you know, the other paid ads, but you have organic results and such and maps and, and whatnot. It's an over, overload of information. So what's an advertiser going to do to, be noticed within that? Yeah, that's actually a really great question and something I hear a lot, especially from my clients that I work with, because you're dealing with like home improvement, super saturated market. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I always say is you have to first go back to the basics. If you, you know, ETAs are out, you know, the expanded text ads, it's now RSAs, your responsive search ads. Mm -hmm. And they have the 15 headlines, the four descriptions. You also have the pathways. You got to have all of it. And you can't just be like, oh, I'm only going to put five. Now, Google A wants all of them, right? Yeah. And well, they want all things because they're using, you know, not every ad is going, it's not displaying everything, of course, you know, but it's going to, it's working combina uh, combinations and using the AI to figure out what people are going to respond to, right? 
Exactly. And the keywords, because what's great, especially because now you have those 15 headlines, you can, you know, sort of pick and choose, you know, your keywords to put in there. So when you have, you know, your potential customer searching for a topic and that happens to trigger a keyword, well, now your ad's going to show and it's going to show that keyword. So it sort of clicks in that searcher's mind. Oh, that's just what I search. And oh, there's that word again that I looked for. That ad is going to be, you know, that website, that person I'm going to, that business is going to be great. Okay. But, you know, when you're looking at the search results, you know, I mean, Google, obviously they always want to make changes and stuff. They always think they're doing it for the better. We're not, sometimes, you know, a lot of us disagree with that idea, but, you know, we partly, we just hate they stop, you know, keep mixing it up, you know, make a decision for, you know, but what are some of the other things, you know, so within the ads themselves, yeah, there are Absolutely. things you can do to make those ads stand out that often other advertisers are forgetting about. So they're not doing it, you know, because like I say, I'm scrolling through, it is that text and things. So what are some of the new things that have come along that can differentiate? And also some of those that you see that other advertisers are not really taking advantage of. One of the big things is your call to action. So obviously when somebody clicks on the ad, they're going to your landing page and your call to actions on the landing page. Well, that call to action also needs to be in your ads. And whether you pin that call to action or you have multiple variations of it, that's really important. If you're just you know telling all about your services, but you're not saying schedule a consultation, schedule your next appointment, schedule a call with us, or whatever it is that your call to action is, then, you know, to me, somebody's looking for that. They're not really knowing what to do. They're like, okay, I guess I can see if this is something worth it. And then they get to the page and it's like, boom, all of the advertisements, schedule an appointment. It's like, it doesn't match up. That's mm -hmm. definitely one of the big things that I see a lot of people missing the mark on. Yeah. So they're, you know, they've done all the work on the landing page, but in, when it comes to the actual ad, you know, they're not marrying up well because the ad is kind of a disconnect on the messaging it's using versus the landing page itself. What about other like um, things like I'm big on visual, you know, things that you can do within yes. the ads. And some of it's, you know, there's some new things that have been coming out with like imagery and things that you can do. So, Absolutely. yeah. So what have you been, you know, kind of toying around or playing with in some of the ad accounts or, you know, like, to make those ads, like I say, because I see, you know, whenever you're scrolling down a page, what grabs the eye? Because, you know, the page is loaded with Images, text. Images, ma'am. Yeah, so. Images are king. Everybody loves it. I mean, look at Instagram, TikTok, everywhere. It's all about the imagery. So Google Ads has added, you have the logos now that you can add to your business, which I think is really beneficial. I, I've just seen that recently those are starting to show up in the organic search results, mm -hmm. too. Yeah, that yes. is fairly recent that, you know, you're scrolling through and realize there's a logo for every single like listing that at least if it's local in nature, you know, they're pulling, I guess, from the, uh, uh, what is it, the icons and stuff that are in like the browser tabs and whatnot. Yeah, the favicons. Yeah, the favicons. Yeah. I, I love it because to me that, especially if you have like a logo that's, if you're local and you see this logo, you see it on the website, you see it on the search results, you're driving around town, you see it on their building. You're like, I recognize that. And it's starting to be that recognition. And same thing, um, I've dealt with a lot of higher education and we've added the images of the schools mm. to that and on their ads. And it's really made a difference because you're like, hey, I recognize that school. I recognize that logo. I recognize 
you know, the stadium. And these are all great things that, again, it triggers that recognition in people's mind. It adds a little bit of trust, which is very important when it comes to advertisers and potential clients. And it's a great, I think it's a great thing that Google's adding that now. Do you see though, like, okay, so if you're setting up an account, you are, you know, know these things, right? You're, so you're taking advantage of them, but do you see like other advertisers not really, you know, cause paid ads can be a little bit of set and forget. Yes. We tell clients that there are tweaks to make, be made and we'll make them, but not everybody is, you know, like you see a new feature like that. You're going to go and you're going to adjust the ad. You're going to figure out how, you know, you can take advantage of that to help that ad stand out further. But a lot of people, especially if they're small businesses kind of running the ads on their own, they don't make these adjustments. So do you see a lot of that kind of stuff going on? Like, um, I'm kind of wondering about percentages. So if I look in, there's four ads on the top, I see three aren't doing anything and one is, you know, sort of that. What are you seeing? I'm seeing pretty much the same, um, to be honest. And a lot of the clients that I will end up getting and, you know, you're doing that initial audit and you're like, oh, you're missing the headlines. You don't have the image extensions. You don't have the logo added and you're talking to them about it. And they're like, well, why? Well, don't you want more real estate on the search engine results page? I mean, yeah. you're paying for it. Take it all up. Take every tiny bit that you can, you know, get every type of extension you're, you know, mm -hmm. that applies to your company. And as you're explaining it to them, hey, you're already paying for it. So it's like it's free, you know, quote unquote. And um, it really changes and definitely seen the difference with some of my clients. I don't have the exact figures in front of me. As soon as we start adding those their sales go up, their leads go up. Yeah. It, and I find that, you know, to be, um, I think it's fascinating because I'll sit down with people and stuff, whether it's a client or something, or maybe an employee, and we're talking about these things and I'm showing them and I'm like, look, these ones that are like bare bones, I'm like, that's not who you want to be. Yeah. Um, you know, I have a couple of other questions too, that I want to kind of throw at you. Um, I guess a little bit as opinion. Um, yeah. So with those ads, okay. And you see, okay, we're doing everything to make the ad physically stand out. Um, you know, one of the things I'm wondering about is just kind of your take. Um, I've dealt with some clients in the past, uh, that are very brand or I guess the question is, is where do you think is the best positioning? If we're talking about standing out, do you need to be number one? Does that actually necessarily matter you know, to be above your competition and, and whatnot? What are you, what's your thoughts on that? So this is, might be controversial is I don't think you have to be number one because I know like when I'm searching, I'm reading what the ad says because I know it's an ad. I know what it is. Right. And I'm reading like, okay, what are they offering me in this ad? And the first one sometimes misses the mark. And the only reason they're number one is they, you know, they have good ad copy. They probably pay more. They have a larger budget. And to me, I'm like, it not necessarily is always going to be the right one. And I know there's this studies shown that, you know, the first one always gets like the most clicks. But I think it might be changing, especially with RSAs and how AI is now attributing to a lot of this. Yeah, I, I'm kind of like, I'm in this, I have the same thought as you do in that sense, where I'm not a believer that you need to be no, number one. I think with businesses, for one, and this is sometimes kind of a, 
a misconception, I think, among small businesses that you don't have to be number one. And I'm going to tell you probably my job isn't to put you in the first position, right? My job is to get you the most in the case of this, it's a pay per click thing. So if I can drive your cost down, that might be in the third position, might even be in the fourth position is an average, which Google, of course, wanted, you know, had to take away that average position, right? Right. (laughs) But my job is to, if I can get you more clicks, I have a better chance at converting because wherever we're sending them to, that's the ultimate goal is to get you a lead or something. And so the more traffic I can drive, but to do that, you have a set budget. So I need to try to drive your cost down. If I'm always bidding for the first position, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me because I think it's against the goal. Have you ever had a client that is so fixated though on being in the first position and it's essentially because they see their competition and their ego gets in the way. Have you ever run into that kind of a situation? Oh my goodness. I have so many nightmare stories of Mm. clients that have that way, have been that way, I should say. And I'm sure every agency has, and it's, you know, you can show them facts. You can show them the numbers till you're blue in the face and, you know, explain to them, hey, it's it's okay to not be in number one all the time. Look, your cost per lead is going down. Look at how many extra clicks you're getting. Right. And we're not having to pay that money per click. But they won't listen because they have to have that number one spot. Yeah. It, so. uh, yeah, I've dealt with that. And I have one in particular that comes to mind that they were so fixated on that. And the, and the lesson and the reason I, I bring this up is, you know, if you are with the way you can make your ads stand out, the necessity of the first position becomes less important anyway. Because if you're looking at the one, two, three, four spots, right? If I'm the third person, but my text is really built out, I've got an image extension, I've got my phone number extension and such, I have all of these things showing, my ad, I've made it more noticeable than potentially that first or that second one. So, and the goal is to get more clicks. So I can drop, you know, it's a bidding process. I can drop my bids, yet still spend all my budget, you know, and get more out of it than I was. You know, I always, like I say, I find it fascinating that, you know, and, and like I say, I point it out because the lesson trying to get across is don't let your ego get in the way. Don't worry so much about your competition. For one, you don't know what they're spending. You know, you don't know um, what their actual target is. They could be blowing a ton of money being at the top. So you want to follow that, you know, that, you know, example. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I'm like, I like to be fiscally responsible with my clients ads because it's not my money. I need to prove every time I create an ad for one of my clients, I'm responsible for that. I have to continually prove myself. And if I'm bringing you qualified leads, qualified sales, and we're in the spot two or three, you should be happy, especially if we're exceeding your goals. Yeah. It shouldn't be about, oh, I have to be in that number one spot. And, you know, a lot of times it's just accepting we're working on it. We're trying to get you there. You know, we're just trying to keep the cost down because you wanted this low CPL mm-hmm. and, you know, just having to repeat yourself a lot and you just say, oh, I just got to have to take it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so on behalf of both of us, please, business owners, get your, you know, take your <laughs> ego out of the equation. 
You know, you d yes. don't Please worry about numbers. Yeah, because that's the, the our goal as advertisers is to get the most bang for the buck when you're using a system like pay per click and such, because that you know you're going to spend a lot of money. The clicks aren't cheap to begin with, depending on the industry you're going after. You know, so. Okay, so now I want to get into uh, keywords and stuff. And I and originally I was going to ask about negative keywords, but I'm going to broaden this question a little bit, okay? Because a lot of people, the reason being is, is I, I want to be able to kind of construct uh, for our audience what we're doing on the back end when we're talking about keywords. Because you have, you know... You've got broad, you've got phrase, exact match and such, and people will go, I don't know what any of those things are. But uh, you know, when we're running and managing pay-per-click accounts, we're trying to narrow things in so that we don't show up for and you know every single thing. Because we've seen, I know you've seen probably tons of you know ad waste and stuff, wasted spend on things that were never going to help. So I want to make sure that. You know, so this question is about explain the differences and then where do negative keywords come in as a part of the whole so that we define our audience? You know, how does it actually work completely? So unfortunately, I have some news uh, that I don't know is completely out there yet, but Google is turning into doing modern search which is very heavily focused on that broad match. Of course they are. Um, <laughs> of course. Um, which ties into needing to have a very strong negative keyword plan. Yeah. But so we still use, and they're still there on the ads, you're exact. So that means when somebody's searching for, you know, lawnmowers and they type in lawnmower, if you're bidding on that exact word, lawnmower, not lawnmowers in Philadelphia or lawnmowers with this, whatever type of engine lawnmowers have, it's just that word lawnmower, then your ad will show up most likely. Um, of course, if you win the bid. If it is a phrase match and somebody says lawnmowers with engine X and you happen to say your phrase match is lawnmowers with engine Y, well, then your ad probably is going to show up because it's very similar. It's kind of like it. Now, if somebody puts lawnmowers in Philadelphia and you have lawnmowers in whatever's Pittsburgh, mm -hmm. your ad could show up if it's a broad match, especially if you're bidding in the same area because it says lawnmowers. Yeah. Now, the great thing with modern search and this ties back into AI, like we were saying at the beginning, modern search is thinking about the user's intent, that searcher's intent. Okay. And so it makes it great. So hopefully going forward, if somebody's searching for lawnmowers in Philadelphia, an ad for lawnmowers in Pittsburgh won't show up. We can only fingers crossed there. Right. So they're trying to solve the problem because I always, I always think of this roofer's example that I saw years ago. You know, I'm in the Nashville area and I type in roofers and I'm showing somebody and I'm saying, okay, here's an example of wasted ad spend because it says roofers in Dallas literally in the ad, right? You know, because they had set it to broad, it ignored the Dallas part and it, it was a matter of they were targeting where, you know, wherever, like they shouldn't have been targeting me if they're, you know, in Dallas anyway. Maybe they had a local affiliate. I don't know. But what I know is, is that ad, as it was written, should not have been in front of me. So hopefully modern yeah. search is the idea that that kind of stuff will stop even if you make the mistake, essentially. Yeah, exactly. And 
you know, like I've always been a fan of like, I don't like exact matches being too restrictive unless except in certain instances, but broad has like you were a ton of wasted spend, right? You know, absolutely. Phrase is really going to come down to um, what you're targeting though, you know, and, and some of it is, is uh, depending on the keywords you're actually going after, whether they can kind of be, you know, when you're set to broad, can they be mistyped essentially? You know, not mm-hmm. not spelled wrong, but you know the intent. So, for example, we work with a lot of truck driving schools and stuff, and we do you know do recruiting for new drivers and whatnot. Um, so, if you're looking for schools, there's only so many ways. You know, so a term we might target is CDL trucking, you know, truck driving school stuff like that. So, there's only so many ways to misinterpret it, but I don't want to show up right. for truck driving. You know, I have to have something school in there and everything. So, yeah. And that's kind of what, you know, like broad, that's people waste a lot of money because of what it can do. It can miss, you know, interpret essentially or give you a lot of bad phrases. How do do negative keywords then work to counter some of the stuff? And also with the changes, um, how do you see, you know, or what importance do you see in negative keywords going forward? I... One, I absolutely love having a very strong negative keyword plan because it helps minimize showing up for terms that don't match the intent of the ad and what you're trying to achieve with having your paid ads. So we could go back to lawn mowers. And one of the things, let's say you actually just sell the physical lawn mower, you sell that you know machine, but you don't do lawn maintenance mm-hmm. or, and you also probably don't do lawn mower maintenance. So if somebody searches lawnmower maintenance in broad mats, you're probably going to show your ad. But if you put that as a negative keyword, the word maintenance, you're not going to show up. So that saves you from irrelevant clicks. That saves you money. And really thinking about that when creating your negative keyword plan, it's great. That's actually, that's a really good example right there. Because, you know, for those that don't know, like say negative is that we're, we're saying specifically don't show our ad if they type in any of these things. So if you're using like a broad keyword list, you know, and you said, yeah, lawnmower, you know, maintenance, you would show up, you know, in that broad, but we know that that's not your you know, intent. You're trying to sell a lawnmower, not repair one. So by putting in maintenance, you're telling the system, don't show for any of these ads. And the one thing is, is like when you're Google, you can see as a campaign develops, you know, you can try to predict on the front end what people might type in that you don't want to show for. Well, there's a lot of phrases that you can end up showing up for. So how do you go about, let's say, you know, building up that list over time as a, as a campaign is, um, you know, progressing? Yeah. So I pull, depending on the size of the client, it can be an everyday looking at it. And it can also be every week, every month pulling what's called a search query report. And that's essentially looking at what people are searching for in their exact thing that they put into the Google search bar and being able to see what keyword does that trigger. And I know with clients, I worked in a healthcare and it was talking about pregnancies and that was not what the intent was. And so I was like, oh, that's showing up in almost everything. It's triggering these words Mm -hmm. over here. Oh, let's go ahead and let's make that a negative keyword, just pregnancy, pregnancies, plural, and all different variations that I could think of. And even then going into my thesaurus and saying like, what are some other words that might be construed as pregnancy? Let me go ahead and negate those. 
Um, so, yeah, and I can kind of give an, an example that works on that too a little bit. The uh, So I've dealt with um, apartment complexes and stuff like that running paid ads. And when you're doing a search, some of the negatives might be location-based, you know? So, for example, if you're searching, you know, um, for apartments in a certain city, but say you're intent on moving, you're in one city, you might be moving 20 miles away or something in, into a different city. Well, you know, you can end up, the search you do, I'm intent on looking in the other city. So I put something specific in, but I could end up, yeah. You, know, you ever see where they kind of, the system mixes it up? You know, because I've seen, uh, for example, like I'm in the city of Murfreesboro within Tennessee. I'll get somebody looking for, you know, Nashville. I don't want to show my ad. They're in my location is the problem, but their intent is to move to Nashville. So I end up having to, put those Nashville related keywords onto that negative list because they say the searcher's in the right location, but their intent is totally wrong, you know, for me. Right. They're, they're looking to leave, you know, <laughs> you know, so you have to consider that. How, how much do you see like for negative keyword lists and stuff, um, geography, you know, geography play into that? You know, do you see a lot of that kind of stuff too? It's really huge. I know um, one of the clients I used to have, they did a lot of um, like emergency repairs and they had lots of different of their uh, franchises and they were only able to sell in this one particular city. They could not advertise anywhere else. So we would have to, for each of the different locations, go in and put negative location keywords mm, yeah. in there. So if one was in, I'm in the Orlando area, so Orlando would have to be negative keyword for somebody in the Apopka area. It would have to be negative for somebody in Winter Park and vice versa. That, that makes sense because otherwise they're kind of like crossing over into territories essentially that they don't belong in, you know, exactly. depending on the franchise. Okay. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, okay. So we've got this great ad and this ad is standing out and stuff and we get the click. Okay. Let's talk how important landing pages are. And, you know, so like what are, what's the importance, but are, what are some of the, things you need to be doing to make it right and some of the mistakes you see being made constantly for it. Yeah. So surprisingly, even though this has been out for like years now, you have to have your ad match what's on your landing page. Mm -hmm. It needs to be cohesive yeah. there. Obviously not verbatim or word for word, but they need to match. And I still see that is a lot of times not the case. You know, I'm talking about selling lawnmowers and I take you to a landing page about weed eaters. Yeah. Not really helpful there. So that's definitely going to have a high bounce rate and people mm -hmm. aren't going to buy your stuff. Yeah. Which is going to affect your ad quality that, you know, like the quality score. Yes. But the, um, you know, if you get that high bounce rate, Google's going to see that too. And so that's going to affect the performance of the ad over time as well. Um, what are some of the other things? So if I'm trying to make sure I convert, you know, okay, so if my content matches and everything, what are the things like if you're constructing a landing page today, what are the things that you're going to want to make sure are incorporated into it to get that page to convert? Uh, definitely the call to action being above the fold or above being scrolling down. You don't want them to have to scroll to the bottom in order to do whatever that call to action is. If it's filling out a form, that should be right on the top. And speaking of forms, you don't need to be asking them 200 questions to fill in because mm -hmm. I believe it was in a book uh, called Social Selling that mentioned the less you have, the less yeah. fields, 
more likely they're going to fill out the form. Yeah, it's like six or something, you know. Um, mm-hmm. you, know you mentioned education, and I've got a client we worked with, we've been working with, and it's, uh, you know, they want to ask everything to like register students for like summer camps. I'm like, no, the point of the form and everything is to generate interest. Send them that thing afterwards. You know, once you know that they're ready to enroll someone in whatever class or initially, you're just trying to get a conversation for what you do. Yeah. And I think the average is something like five or six fields is like, you don't- Four to seven is the sweet spot. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you've got more than that, I mean, it's an overwhelm. And I think one of the mistakes is like, um, depending on your call to action or what you're asking for in those form fields and such, um, you have to, you want to make sure it doesn't sound like you're making, it could be you're getting an estimate, you know, mm-hmm. don't make it sound like you're making some commitment to do business with them right on the spot and such, you know, it is whatever, you're, if you're a service related business or if you're a lawyer or something, say, you know, Hey, get a consultation, get a free quote, free estimate, whatever, you know, whatever it is that you're going to do. Okay. Don't make it sound like you, you are committed to doing business with them, you know, right at that, that spot. Cause I've seen that they use the text wrong. Yeah. Um, what are the, some of the other, you know, key things that you see uh, that people are doing wrong and what would you, you know, recommend? Yeah. A lot of times it's also way too much information, way too much text on the page where it sort of just makes it so much where I'm just like, I don't want to read this. I, I just wanted to get to the point of what the ad was. And I have to look for what I was searching for in all this mess. So it needs to be very clean, concise, straight to the point. You know, if I want to dig in more, I can click on one of the buttons up at the top in your menu Mm -hmm. to go explore more if I want to. That's definitely something I've seen need to get fixed. Okay. So that you just hit on something that I've (laughs) got to ask the question. Um, Navigation, landing pages. Navigation, is it a yes or no thing? Because we, you know, we've seen plenty of landing pages that have no nav. The idea is to trap you on the page, get you to take the action right there. You know, in some cases, I agree with it. But what's, what's your kind of thoughts on it? Because, you know, and I think I know where you're going to go, but. <laughs> it, I mean, I'm sort of in the same, but it depends on what you're asking them to do and depends on the business. If you're selling lawnmowers, yeah, your landing page should be this lawnmower that you have this great sale and whatever. But I then maybe not just need a lawnmower. You know, I just bought a new house. I need, Mm -hmm. you know, a weed eater. I need a leaf blower or whatever other tools possibly. So I should at that point be able to go and search. But if you are simply selling, say, an ebook and you don't have any other good stuff for them to scour on your website, Okay, then that makes sense maybe not to have the navigation. You know, I think it's really, again, it's industry specific and it's all depends on the product. Yeah. And that's, I think, when landing pages first really became a thing, you know, a decade plus ago and stuff, you know, I think everybody went to this and we used to see these like really long freaking scroll forever. You know, and it's like, geez, just get to the point of what you know, what you want me to do. Yeah, you know, the but that was great for informational products, right? You're trying to explain that product and everything. But when you're trying to sell a service and you have other things or pro, or individual products that are like physical products and stuff, 
taking away all the, you know, the header and the navigation, I understand you're trying to get them to take an action, but the action may have to happen on another page because they need to get maybe right. a little more comfortable with you as a company. You know, they want to know a little bit more about you. Yeah. But the other thing, if you have a client that is like, no, I don't want a navigation up at the top. I just want my landing page. Then suggesting doing A-B testing. Test, you know, duplicate your ad, everything identical, just changing up your landing page and see which one performs better. It might surprise you, might surprise your marketer. You never know. So that's... When, when you're working with um, businesses and you're setting up the landing pages, like what are your thoughts on, because um, I like to include things, you know, you want some sort of like social proof. If you've got testimonials, if you've got, you know, you're a better business bureau member and stuff. And I know like with contractors, that's really important because some of them have, some industries have very bad reputations and such, oh, yes. you know, so, so what are your, um, you know, thoughts on the things that you need to be include, including on your landing page along those lines? Oh, I just saw the most beautiful landing page. Um, somebody's trying to sell a service to my company. And so I'm like, let me see what's on their landing page they sent me. And it had everything that I needed up at the top, my little call to action that they sent me. And then looking at the bottom, it talked about the product. It showed reviews. It showed, you know, videos of people using this product. And I'm like, wow, okay. I liked it because it was relatable and made it, you know, other people like it. it. This isn't, you know, a fly by night scammy kind of mm -hmm. thing. So I'm all for it. If you have the social proof, show it proudly like a badge. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. You know, so at the top of your landing page, you want to be focused on things like headlines, um, you know, how to get a hold of them. And then as you scroll through, if you've got their interest, yeah, then you want to, because you can only show so much above the fold. And when you talk phones, it's a whole different, you know, story. So right. you, you want to make sure that your information is well organized. So you have your most important pieces, you know, towards that top. And then as you're scrolling down, though, you still have more things that are reinforcing. Yeah, everything that you're trying to, you know, what whatever you're, you know, you're trying to offer them. And as a company too, not some of your reinforcement is not necessarily on the product or service, but your company and your reputation. You know, exactly. So. I okay. mean, that speaks volumes to me to see that. Yeah. So, okay. So I'm going to get in this last topic and, but I'm going to combine uh, this because the, these, it was going to be like two questions originally, but I think it can be really one. Where do you see Google going in the context of AI? But also, you know, we know that for the last few years, all the privacy issues and such. Where do you see Google going with it all? I, I'm a huge fan of AI. You just have to be really nice before it takes over the world. Um. <laughs> so, so you're not the, one of the ones that eliminates, right? <laughs> no, exactly. You got to be nice. <laughs> Please answer this question for me. Oh, thank you for the answer, AI. Um, but that's, that's really good. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I, I'm like, man, I have such good behaviors when I'm asking like Chat GPT. Yeah, right. And all those yeah, we're all really polite. Yeah, this. thank you, Chat, for answering my question. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, but especially one of the things, ah, there's so much Google's coming out with that they haven't yet released. Um, but it's in the works and it is very exciting to me because it takes away a lot of the mental capacity of having to plan ads because Google's using AI to sort of figure out what works best for intent on the searches part, what works best to spend your money, you know, 
you're giving 500, a thousand, a million dollars a month to Google to spend on ads. Yeah. They want to spend it efficiently so that you can keep coming back to them and not leave them for another platform. So I really like that they're changing up the bidding structures. They're going in and being able to pull images off of your website. So you don't even have to download this anymore. They're creating headlines for you and really taking that away from, from you having to do why obviously you still need to verify everything because nothing's perfect. I think it's great. And that goes back into privacy with Google putting in a lot of these new privacy policies coming in and understanding that I really don't want to share my information with some third party that I just went to their website to see if it matches what I need. Mm-hmm. Yet I'm being asked, oh, are these cookies okay? No, yeah. I don't want you to follow me. I don't need to see your ad next on Instagram when scrolling or wherever I'm at. I'm good. Hmm. So I really like that Google is eliminating those third-party cookies and really pushing for having first-party information and cookies being used to generate ads and retargeting. Oh, that's it. Yeah, I can. I hadn't actually thought about it until you were, you know, talking about it there. The because of third-party and cookies and stuff going away, but it's like, how do the ads end up, you know, targeting? But with the AI, it can be more predictive on the behaviors and stuff to still generate the audience, but need less actual personal information to do it. Yeah, you know, exactly. That, that's what you're, you know, kind of thinking it's going to go is is like AI is sort of being a substitute for some of the stuff that we've needed from a personal information standpoint. Exactly. So if like on Facebook and, you know, Facebook isn't where my favorite place to play, I totally prefer Google ads, but they have where you can upload your audience. And this audience comes from your first party information. So people that have signed up for your emails, people Mm -hmm. that are your current clients, and they make lookalike audiences. Google has something very similar to that. They're getting rid of similar audiences and is going to customer match types, but it's, interesting because once you upload that, Google can find people using AI that are similar to these people, have similar behaviors to the people that you uploaded. And it's going to build trust because now when you come to my website, I'm not tracking your cookies. I'm not doing any of that. And so I'm like, oh, I like you a little bit better because I don't have to worry that you're going to sell my information because I don't know what these third party people are doing with my cookies. I mean, yeah. heck, I don't even know what Facebook and, and Google are doing with my cookies and information. Sure. So. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's kind of interesting on where it'll be able to go. They've kind of taken a while to roll out the privacy restrictions in a sense, because in the background, without really mentioning it too much, they're developing alternatives and other ways to build the same kind of audiences that don't infringe, you know, but they needed exactly. some time to do it essentially. Oh, yeah. And I really like that they're taking a stance similar to how they're doing over in Europe with the GDPR. Yeah. Uh, I messed up that acronym, I'm sure. No, you got it right. I don't, you know, it's, it's, yeah, try to remember what it all stands for, but. (laughs) Exactly. And I really like that because I really like how their privacy is, how they're, you have to be upfront about, you have to have those Mm -hmm. being able to opt out and how Google is rolling that out to the U.S. as well because we don't have a lot of that. We pretty much just give our information away. So it's definitely going to be very interesting over probably the next year or two to see all the different stuff that Google is rolling out that we can use and 
you know. Yeah, and as a, you know, advertising as a whole, everything in the paid ad space, you know, that's online, it's a lot of it's, you know, like Facebook and stuff and programmatic advertising all ends up kind of following suit, not following Google per se, but because of what Google is doing in other companies, it's sort of, it's sort of a collective effort in, on different Absolutely. platforms and, and ways of advertising to go that route. Oh, yeah. I'm even seeing it in Microsoft now, the talks of how they're changing. They're going to be more secure than Google. They're, they don't do this with your information. And it's, it's quite <laughs> interesting. I'm like, okay, well, okay. I appreciate, you know, this is the trend going to privacy. Yeah. Well, like I say, if you can't beat it, take advantage of it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? and, yeah. And that's, that's what they're doing. Well, I mean, that's what they're doing from a, you know, they're saying, hey, we are more secure and whatnot. They're using it as a competitive advantage instead of saying, you know, we're not going to do it. Let's say, yeah, not only are we going to do it, we're going to try to go as far with it as we can because we've also figured out other ways that we're going to make our advertising work. You know, but exactly. when I say it, because, and, and of course, you know, Bing and stuff has played second fiddle to Google for, you know, about two decades now. So (laughs) they have, you know, so um, this has been a great conversation. I think there's uh, a lot, you know, paid ads or something that can really be taken advantage of by businesses, large and small. You know, I, I think there's always, you know, there's tons of things you can do with Google ads. And I think, you know, personally that, you know, businesses should be looking more at ads because of the changing nature of organic search. Yeah. And, Absolutely. and if you're a small business and you haven't really, you know, you've been relying on your SEO results and such, those are great. But if you actually look at the results, you know, um, I was explaining to somebody the other day, it's like, you know, local search stuff, you know, local SEO is about Google Maps. It's not really about the organic anymore. You know, the organic, it's not really paying off and you're pretty much lost. So it's Google Maps, but it's also paid search. And the two can work together because, of course, there is a map ad, you know, that you can run when you link them up. So there's a lot you can do in that space. So, you know, for anybody that wanted to get a hold of you, uh, Stephanie, what, you know, how would they reach you? The best way is to find me either on LinkedIn and you can search for Valhalla Digital Marketing Solutions, or you can email us, email us at info at ValhallaDMS.com. My name's spelled funny, so it's way too complicated to have to spell it out here. So <laughs> info at ValhallaDMS.com is much easier. <laughs> okay. And so this has been a great show. We've been talking about Google ads. It was great to have you as an, a, a guest. And, you know, I look forward to, you know, all of the help that, you know, this episode will bring to our, uh, our listeners. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Great. Thank you.